continuing on to just meet with them and have that comfortability that we can kind of be together. And so that's just, it's so rewarding. I absolutely love what I do. I'm very passionate about what I do. And I'm not afraid to kind of be that voice to go against diet culture to say, hey, no, I actually am going to have my lunch and we don't have to talk about each other's lunch. Welcome to the Daily Dietitian Podcast. I am your host, Stacey Mitchell. I am so happy to have you here. My goal for this podcast is to break down the latest health topics and help clear the clutter in the messy world of nutrition and fitness. We hope to inspire, educate, and entertain all things wellness. Join us as we talk with experts in their fields on how to feel our best in our own body and mind. Hey there, thank you for joining us this week. Today's guest, she has a heart of gold. (laughs) She helps anyone, and I mean anyone, from ages 9 to 80 build a better relationship with food through her one-on-one counseling service. She goes above and beyond to help her clients seek the medical attention needed and refer to other specialists depending upon the client's individual needs. Our guest, registered dietitian Mary, also known on Instagram at... Mary's Nutrition. She believes there is power through food and nutrition to directly affect the way you feel and live each day. Mary talks about shuffling through those thoughts that we may have about not feeling good in our bodies and how to take on body neutrality. Have you ever heard of it? Don't worry, she defines it and gives wonderful examples on how to incorporate this concept into your lifestyle. Join us for this conversation. Well, Mary, it is so great to have you here on the show with us. Will you introduce yourself and tell everyone who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. So my name is Mary Stockhauser. I am a registered dietitian with my own private practice, Mary's Nutritional Wellness, PLLC. And so I am a registered dietitian that specializes in the treatment of eating disorders, disordered eating, you know, that whole dynamic of relationship with food, relationship with yourself. And I also specialize in gut health. Um, So I do find nine times out of 10, if we're struggling with that relationship with food, we also have some gut issues associated with that. Yeah. So those are kind of the, the realms that I dive into, but registered dietitian that can kind of focus and help people with their food. I have so much to talk about today. Um, I love how you incorporate the gut health part of with the disordered eating and the eating disorders because I know there's a lot of times where women, (laughs) I'll say women in general, but they may have some digestive issues and then they use that as the problem why they're not eating to cover up the eating disorder. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's a big stigma that if you have an eating disorder, it's because you want to lose weight or you're, you don't like yourself, where a good majority of the time, how did we get to having an eating disorder? Oh, maybe I have Crohn's. Maybe I have a gluten intolerance. Maybe I have IBS. And we then start to have this fear around certain foods and we put a lot of control and restricting and manipulating and sometimes it just kind of snowballs and someone's like oh my goodness I didn't even know that this is occurring 
now I have this poor relationship with food that can then exasperate to a full-blown eating disorder. Totally, 100%. And the stats out there, or are there any, you know, that we know this is a problem, but I think it's becoming more prevalent than we think. Um, I keep hearing the statistic of, you know, your kid will have maybe 200 times more likely to have an eating disorder or disordered eating rather than type 2 diabetes. And what are you seeing? Does that kind of follow through the same as well? Sure. Sure, yes. Um, I know recently I was just looking into that 8 out of 10 children um, in 2022 have been on a diet, right? And, like, when you're talking about a child, that's so, those are single digits, like an 8-year-old, a 5-year-old, a 10-year-old. There's, like, just with that cuff. And it's just becoming such prevalence. There's a lot of weight loss programs that are promoting to children, and Unfortunately, dieting can be so linked to then, oh, there's something wrong with my body. Let me control it or do things to try to change it and manipulate it. When that child is still growing and developing and your body's going to change and people just don't realize. So absolutely, that prevalence is it's huge that those statistics and with it being Eating Disorder Awareness Week right now, you're going to see a lot of those updates right now great I can't wait to to hear all the updates I, I myself I think maybe that's why I got into dietitis a little bit too but I remember as I'm gonna say kindergarten first grade I remember like really having poor body image that was in the time frame yeah. of when the biker shorts were really in you know Ooh. I had these hot pink yeah. leopard biker shorts Ooh, they were so cool but I did not like how they looked on me I yeah. was shorter stature so I wasn't long sure. and long and tall like my friends that I looked at or and so um building that positive that bo- that positive body image can start at a very young age Right. And, it, and it's not. And this is something that I talk about all the time is, have you ever been taught how to love yourself? Just that question, oof, that might feel like you just got hit with something and you have to pause a little bit because generally, as a society, we're not. We're always taught that we can be better. We're not enough. We still need to strive for something. And that makes it so then we look at ourselves in such a negative and people say, they're like, oh, I'm my hardest critic. Well, right. That could start from such an early age with this unawareness that it was occurring. Totally. Um, who, what ages I should say are the people that you are helping with? Yeah. So I, um, see a large array of ages and I, I do see all genders, um, very inclusive in that realm. And so I will only see children or pediatrics if they are suffering from a disordered eating or an eating disorder. Um, but then 18-year-olds and all the way up. Uh, right now, this morning, I had someone who was in their 80s that I was working with. Um, so this is where an eating disorder does not discriminate. You don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to be a certain gender. You don't have to be a certain age to be impacted from it. And I really love to have the opportunity to give someone a chance to be heard and a chance to heal that relationship with you and themselves. Wow, that's eye-opening to hear that. Yeah, it's it's scary. I, I have a nine-year-old right now where, of course, 
that's a really different approach with the counseling compared to someone who is in their 40s or 60s who've had it for generations and having it be passed down. It's all just so situational. And we have been talking about the terms disordered eating versus eating disorder. Let's have you kind of define the two. Sure, absolutely. And so an eating disorder, there are qualifications. There's kind of like a little checklist to be able to be considered anorexic or bulimia, have binge eating disorder, orthorexic. There is a whole slew of eating disorders that I think a lot of times get passed to the side, Um, but that's what an eating disorder is. You're following this criteria to be diagnosed from a health professional in that manner, where disordered eating is kind of like this big blanket of any sort of skewed relationship with food probably could fall into disordered eating. If there's any sort of rules, if we're really heavy into doing bad diets, or if we're guilty after eating something, that can fall into that disordered eating category. There's so much in that disordered eating category. Everything we've learned mm-hmm. from the restriction to the fat diets to, um, you know, even now buying only keto products or sure. intermittent fasting or what, what else am I whole missing? Whole 30, absolutely. <laughs> Everything is like whole 30 approved or keto approved. Yes, yes, that falls right into it. And that I find is a struggle is people don't have this awareness that they could be slipping into something that could be really serious. And how we talk about it, how we talk about it to our friends, to our spouses, our kids are listening. And I think we need to delete that conversation. I just posted in my stories today of like, let's take that talk out because somebody might be listening. Even if you yourself are not dealing with an eating disordered, your disordered Mm -hmm. eating habits kind of keep on building and piling up. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is where I always say there's like generational disordered eating passed down, right? Because none of it is intentional. No one is saying, hey, I want this to happen to my child. But if you're talking to yourself in the mirror and having this self-hate, or making the comments of, I can't have dessert, I'm being good today. Well, your child can absorb that and take that into themselves and, and exasperate it even more. Absolutely. So when you're talking about positive self-talk and, and having a better body image, it sounds good, you know, as we're telling this yeah. conversation, but it's a daily thing that you have to oh, yeah. think and talk. And it's not just a little switch that we turn on. Um, if someone is having a bad body image day, where do you start? Oh, that's a very good question. Yes, because we're not going to wake up one day and just have self-love. We're not. I wish we could. Maybe that can happen for some, and that's fantastic, right? But... Typically, having that goal of losing those five pounds isn't going to make us magically fall in love with ourselves, Mm -hmm. right? And so where you can start really can depend on where you feel comfortable. Maybe it's doing a dive on your social media and following accounts that are more body positive, healthy at every size, um, intuitive eating sort of focus. But it also can kind of pull back and say, you know what? I'm going to start complimenting myself once a week, 
twice a week. And it doesn't even have to be about our body. We could just start complimenting what we did at work. We can start complimenting how we're mothering our children, but start to give that, hey, I could be okay too. I deserve to have that good feeling and to be kind to myself. Oh, I love hearing that so much because you're taking it at the approach of starting small and it just kind of catches on and it becomes contagious. Yes, absolutely. You're not going to be able to go from having an uncontrollable self-hate to a magical self-love. It takes time. It takes intention. But what we really want to achieve is just something called body neutrality, right? And so body neutrality is not feeling the hate, but not feeling that love either. And I think that's a point that I think needs to be promoted more of, well, let's just at least get rid of this distaste that we have for ourselves. We don't have to magically love ourselves so much and think we're the best person in the room, but we don't want to be oozing and having this internal self-hate conversation that really can be so detrimental for our mental health. That relationship with food, relationship with ourselves, and kind of cause us to do these actions that can be really serious, that can lead to that eating disorder. I like that. Body neutrality. Um so explain a little bit more about that, like the daily conversation that we may have with, let's say we put on a pair of jeans or maybe we yeah. go up for ice cream. What does the body neutrality look in those situations? Absolutely. So you're, pair, you're putting on a pair of jeans, right? Our instinct might be like, Oof, okay, like these aren't fitting the greatest. Like, oh my gosh, like I need to lose weight. Okay, all right. We have that thought. We kind of want to acknowledge it and let it go. And then we want to shift the conversation and be like, wow, I'm really grateful that I have legs at work. I'm really thankful that I have the ability to go and move my body and use those legs as a benefit for me. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying we have to say, hey, I have the sexiest legs in the world, right? That's a little extreme coming from I don't like, I hate my legs, right? It's so much easier to say, you know what? I'm just happy that my legs work. And it's a lot, it's a lot more of a neutral space and it's easier to step into that and feel more at peace. Right. I say that because I put on clean jeans this morning and they're tight. So I'm like stretching them out. And then, you know, you realize that some people like curves that I see on myself. Um, Mm -hmm. I was watching the Selena Gomez documentary and she wanted curves and I thought, wow, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And like that's something that's so great to kind of ground yourself with is I see it on someone else when I feel like they're perfect. Huh. Why why couldn't it be perfect for you too? Right. Remember yes. that. Remember that aspect of it of you don't have to be having a different standard than than the people around you. Right. And we take how healthy our body parts are for granted a lot. If you have an ache or pain and your ankle's not working or things like that, it's like, oh my gosh, this day is a lot harder because my knee is not working the way it should and taking that gratitude as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Kind of just taking it a more like calm, level-headed approach, really. Love that. So let's take the eating approach. We're going out for ice cream. How do we incorporate the body neutrality? Yeah, absolutely. And so one thing that we can do is we can look at that food and not try to label it. 
right? This could be a really, really challenging thing, right? This is not going to be something that is a snap of our fingers. But, you know, I think most people in the world would say, hey, ice cream, ice cream is bad for you. Ice cream is wrong. Ice cream, I shouldn't do this. Where, why are we putting all that value on that food? Right? Can ice cream have a purpose? Can ice cream have a space in a well-balanced diet? Absolutely. What does that ice cream mean to you? Is it with your kids? Are you building a moment right now? Is that ice cream of, hey, it's summer and we're finally seeing that sunshine after months of having winter, right? Like ice cream can mean so much more than just, hey, this is bad for me. And so I think being able to look at food and not put value on an object like that, because if we take away that value, well, then that food doesn't have the power to make you feel bad about yourself doing that action of enjoying ice cream. So it's, it's just this whole conversation of one thing of ice cream is never going to hurt your health. How you sit and think about that ice cream and how you talk to yourself because you had that ice cream, that's going to be severely more detrimental than the actual ice cream itself. So much. Um, when you got into dietetics, I want to ask this question because I always love to hear if, if it's been a shift or not. Uh, were you focused in this area or was this something that kind of kindly came about? Yeah, no. So this is something that definitely came about. Um, I originally thought I was going to be a renal dietitian. So work with people with like kidney disease and things of that nature. And I went to my clinical and I can't tolerate blood. It doesn't work well for me. Um, so most of my, um, education, I did a lot of projects about kidneys and all of that fun stuff. Um, I've always been really passionate about people liking themselves and also people liking food, like food should be enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's something that's definitely come about over the years. I, looking back, I always, cause I get asked this question a lot. Um, when I sit and I reflect on it, I had a lot of people who had eating disorders or disordered eating around me. I, re- I remember being in elementary school and one of my friends up the road, she had an eating disorder. I didn't know it then, but looking back, I always question, well, what, what's wrong with it? It's just food. Why, why is it that conversation? Right. And I just didn't understand it so young. Right. And, in college, I was an RA, and a lot of my residents had eating disorders. Mm-hmm. And so part of the job was having to help with that whole aspect. And so I was kind of thrown into that. And on campus, one of my colleagues and I tried to make a new club of um, all foods fit and making it so that we could start that whole conversation because it was just such a powerful thing to sit and watch people struggle so much and wanting to just give them that relief, help them heal that journey for themselves so they can have that freedom and not as much pressure on themselves. Oh, that is so interesting to hear. Um, I'm sure college was a huge transition period for a lot of people and for you seeing that. But even like you said, it starts so very early, uh, these different disordered eating habits. Absolutely. Yeah. So what are some of the first steps that you take with your clients to 
making a more balanced lifestyle with food. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm really big on going about the approach of having individual nutrition counseling. And so I really um, make sure that I'm coming to them. I want to reach and meet them on where they are and where they feel comfortable. And so my first appointment that I have with clients is an initial assessment. And so that just means we ask a ton of questions. We see where we are at, what we feel comfortable with. But I always love to reassure that client is completely in control, right? It's their nutrition journey. I can help guide and push us in the direction that is going to be best. But if you don't want to do that, well, then we're going to go in a different way, mm-hmm. right? And so I always start with that initial assessment. But when it comes to recovery, functional is typically number one. Typically, someone who has an eating disorder, disordered eating, they have something of malnutrition where their their body doesn't have the proper nourishment to function. And you can have a lot of serious side effects from that. And so function is where I typically go first is, hey, we at least need to get your body working. We don't, we don't want to be in a hospital. We don't want to be on a tube feed. We don't want anything to happen to our heart and kind of go about that in a really cautious, specific manner for their body to physically heal first. And then we can kind of dabble into the whole mental and emotional component that got us in that physical state. Yes. That is lightly brushed over sometimes. The the seriousness of this disease or disorder of whatever it may be. What are some cases that you have seen maybe that uh, were, were pretty you know, kind of critical in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so being as like an outpatient dietitian, that is something too where like if I am seeing someone who is such a higher level of care, I do refer them to an inpatient program because they need to have that around the clock care. Right. Right. And so like that's something that's always important is I do like collaborate with um, treatment centers and hospitals and things of that nature to make sure that 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 patient, that client is okay, because that's number one. Absolutely. Um, So some of my more critical that would be okay to still be outpatient, that's a very good question. Um, You know, I have situations where people are only having 300 calories a day. I have some situations if you know, they're not necessarily the restriction, but more binge eating. They're consuming 3,000, 4,000 calories in an hour. Um, it's a whole range of different situations. It's, and having, you know, binge eating disorder is just as severe as having anorexia. Sometimes I feel that people don't think that you could be malnourished in both situations, and you can't. Any eating disorder is an eating disorder, and it takes a physical and mental toll on you. Absolutely. Yes. As you are getting that relationship better with food, you how do you incorporate the gut health component of that? Because that has a lot to do with the malnourishment as well. Absolutely. I find um, treating the gut is more of that physical aspect. It's more of allowing the body to build its tolerance of having different foods um, that may have caused us to be in this place of having an eating disorder in the first place. 
There's a lot of commonalities, constipation, bloating, IBS, Crohn's, heartburn, that can cause us to kind of stumble into this disordered eating path. Um, and so treating that gut is very important, typically in the beginning of that recovery process, to just allow things to start working, right? It's, if your body can't tolerate food, well, we're still going to have that fear. Right, we want to kind of show that person that your body is something that you can start to trust and rebuild that trust with. Mm-hmm. And also, something to think about too is when you have a severe eating disorder or not a severe eating disorder, any eating disorder is of importance to want to heal and repair. That's something to really think about, but you are mentally going to be at a decline because you don't have nourishment in your system. <sighs> No one wants to put those two pieces together. Hey, I'm anxious all the time. I'm crying every day. I'm depressed. Why is this happening? Well, your body doesn't have any food to help regulate your brain. You need that nourishment. And so that's why the physical stuff with the gut connected can really then the gut and brain connection then can help you mentally heal as well for that recovery journey too. Oh, that's like a big aha moment right there, isn't it? Is there Mm -hmm. a certain food or food groups, I mean, in generalization, that you kind of start with that it is like this is the best for healing part of it and nourishing your body? Sure, sure. I actually would say I would start with hydration before food. Okay. (laughs) I would actually go with hydration, and this is because depending on the case, Hydration is going to be easier to start than with food. Mm-hmm. And having hydration makes food not as potentially painful to digest. Right? Dehydration is associated with increased anxiety. So there, there could just be this whole domino effect. So starting with hydration would be where I would go first. But then from there, protein. Protein is going to be something I think most people would be more comfortable with compared to other things, mm-hmm. right? Because the bottom line is we want you to eat something. We want you to get something in. If you have certain safe foods, well, then I want us to turn to those safe foods of chicken and broccoli and rice. Okay. Well, then those are the three things that we're going to eat until we can get things functioning and we mentally feel okay going into a more variety of food. I love that. Um where can people come and connect with you? Yeah, that's a great question. So I do have an Instagram. And so my handle is Mary's Nutrition. All together, it's M-A-R-Y-S-N-U-T-R-I-T-I-O-N. And so you can find me on Instagram. I do a lot on my story. I make posts. Um, I do lots of tips and healing tricks for the person who might not be ready to start counseling. But you can also find me on my website, which is marysnutrition.com. And you can even connect with me through email or you can call me. And so my email is info at marysnutrition.com. And then my number is 315-527-0877. I really like to have the opportunity for someone to connect in a fashion that they're comfortable with. 
right? Sometimes I have people text me. I have people email me, message me on Instagram. Whatever feels comfortable to take that first step. And I also make it really clear and adaptable that I have a very flexible schedule. I typically work from nine to nine. So if there's only a certain time that you can meet to make this work, well, then I want to make this work so you can have the best care possible. Um, You're definitely making your voice louder in this area, in this topic. I absolutely love what I do. I'm very passionate about what I do. And I'm not afraid to kind of be that voice to go against diet culture to say, hey, no, I actually am going to have my lunch and we don't have to talk about each other's lunch and (laughs) things of that nature. So I I absolutely love it. Oh, so true. And if there's one thing I can give to my kids is just having a really good relationship around food. You know, I have, (laughs) I've learned myself on some situations, you know, years ago where, I'm like, I shouldn't have said that or I shouldn't have done that. And now I'm just like, whatever, you know? (laughs) Right. This is where it's like, no, 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 you're doing the best that you can and that's more than enough. Right, right. You're doing the best that you can and that's more than enough. You're not doing any, like, no, you're great. It's fantastic. Don't put that pressure on yourself all the time. And, And what I learned too is that you can't make people eat certain healthy foods, you know, within a family I'm talking about, you know, it's like, yes, I can make it, but they may not eat it, but I can have different options uh, available. And uh, don't know if I have this one done, but I am in the process of writing a solo episode and it's called Why I Keep Junk Food in the House. And it's to build that balance of, oh my gosh, mom, bought fruit snacks finally and we eat all the fruit snacks right. you know? <laughs> exactly exactly no that's exactly what happens the more that right. you say no the more that right. you restrict it the more that there's a potential going wild on it and and that's where the patterns can yes. happen parents you can have so much more like education and awareness of like oh if i say well you can't have dessert because i don't want you to gain weight Right. Well, that means something, it does. right? You're putting that food on a pedestal. You're saying you're wrong and bad because you had sugar. It can just then snowball, depending on the style, though. Maybe not, right? Just because we say these things doesn't necessarily mean something is going to come out of it negatively. It's all situation-based. It is. And I know looking back on my years as a child, there's things that you remember so well that just stick to you on how people sure. commented about your body or what you were eating. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is too much. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And that's where it's like, you're trying your best, but you don't want to like do the same thing if it impacted you. Yes. What would be your last takeaway for someone that's teetering on these restrictive diets, these disordered eating habits, um, why would they need to change that? I think I would want to have it be something to sit and ponder of how is my quality of life? How is my mental state? Am I thinking about food around the clock? Do I want to do that? I would check in and see, okay, is everything a big guilt? Does everything make me feel ashamed? You don't deserve that. You don't need to have that. I think that we live in a society where we are really hard on ourselves. And if you want to improve that, I would definitely would seek help for that recovery then. Yes. Yeah. 
I really just love to kind of end on a point of, you know, it's really not about being on a diet. It's about a lifestyle and we can, we can make anything work and come to what your life is. And you don't have to do this alone. Recovery is definitely possible. It might feel really far away or really challenging, but you're not alone in this. And there are plenty of resources to help along the way. Mary, keep doing your awesome work and helping all the people. I see all those wonderful testimonials on your website. Um, Great information there, as well as your Instagram. And uh, be sure to go and follow her. Thank you so much for this great informative conversation. No, thank you so much. I appreciate it. What a wonderful conversation. I loved learning about body neutrality. It's a simple term, but it takes practice building this concept into the daily lifestyle, especially as we get into the summer season, you know, where we put on the shorts and swimsuits and tank tops. I'm definitely ready for the warmer weather, but a great reminder to embrace the idea for the new upcoming season. Send me a message and let me know if you were familiar with this term of body neutrality or if this is something that you are going to start implementing yourself. I hope this episode has inspired you or helped you to gain more knowledge about building a better relationship with food. Be sure to give this episode a rating on Apple Podcasts and thank you so much for spending your time with us here on the Daily Dietitian Podcast.